This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Hello, this is Janice Hall, and I am definitely in favor of organic foods. Factory farm foods deplete the nutrients in the soil, and the pesticides are carcinogenic. I worked on the organic standards many years ago, and I have a great deal of faith in them, even though there are companies that always try to uh, bypass the standards. Hi, this is Jeannie Heck. I do look forward to additional regulations that can help me to understand exactly what it is I'm eating. As somebody who tends to shop at the local farmer's market and buy my meat from locally sourced and locally butchered farms, I'd like to have other options, potentially, that I can trust within the grocery store shelves. Imagine you're at the grocery store in the produce aisle. You have a lot of choices to make. One of them, do you reach for the more expensive organic fruits and vegetables or stick to regular produce? Does it make a difference? And is it even really organic? The Department of Agriculture is hoping to make sure that last point isn't a question anymore. This month, the USDA is implementing stronger oversight on organic products in order to reduce fraud. And for a growing number of you, that's good news. I think that tighter regulations on labeling is very, very beneficial. Most of how consumers shop towards organic is marketing, and people see recyclable packaging and pretty pastel colors, and they think it's better for you, and and that's not always the case. I buy organic as much as possible because it's better for the land, better for the waters, better for me, and better for all of life on Earth. I think giant agribusiness farms that are supported by our government are not the best direction for food security. And what we really need to focus on is local, small, and really clean food that helps the soil. That's what I want organic for. So what does that organic label actually mean? And what kind of benefits can you expect? Today, we're digging into the organic soil to find out. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into, so stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. This message comes from Wired on Wired Politics Lab. 
you will be guided through the exciting, challenging, and sometimes entertaining vortex of internet extremism, conspiracies, and disinformation. Listen to Wired Politics Lab wherever you get your podcasts. We're discussing organic foods and agriculture. Here to help us through it is Dan Charles. He's an independent journalist focusing on food, farming, and climate change. He's also a former food and agriculture correspondent at NPR. Dan, welcome. Nice to be here, Jen. Also with us is Harriet Bihar. She owns and operates Sweet Farms, Sweet Springs Farm in Wisconsin, and she joins us from Wisconsin now. Harriet, it's great to have you. Hello. And Tom Chapman is with us. He's the CEO of the Organic Trade Association. It represents more than 10,000 organic businesses, including shippers, farmers, and retailers. OTA also advocates for the organic industry and conducts market research. Tom, welcome. Thank you for having me. So the Organic Trade Association lobbied for this heightened oversight. Tom, explain how the new rules from the USDA will work. Yes, this is the single largest revision to the standards since they were originally published. And it's really meant to bolster that consumer trust that they should already have in the label, but to make sure that, you know, we are we are taking that trust, uh, assuring them that we're taking that trust um, at the highest levels and going after any fraud anywhere may exist in, in the system. So it's um, the big areas of change are looking at the entirety of the supply chain and bringing any entities who have a financial interest in the product who may not have been certified before, requiring them to be certified, which requires an annual audit. It requires them to open up their books, to, to have a third party come in and look at who their suppliers are, who they're selling to, and making sure there's a balance between um, the organic products they're buying and selling, ensuring that happens everywhere between the farm to the uh, packaged product. Dan, let's back up a little bit. When that organic label is given, what exactly does it mean? Well, basically, there's a philosophical idea that it should be farming that's kind of in balance with nature. And specifically, I mean, what I think most people think about is fewer, you know, no standard commercial chemical sort of insecticides and weed killers. And also what people think less about but also very important is – uh, certain forms of, I mean, sort of standard commercial synthetic fertilizers are are banned. Beyond that, there's like this ongoing debate about what should be allowed and what should not be allowed. But those are kind of the main points. Harriet, how much of an issue is fraudulent organic food? Well, we have seen uh, growers, uh, both domestic and imported, put, kind of slap the label on organic um, when it didn't belong there. And so... It, it has been very discouraging for organic farmers who, the true organic farmers, who really work hard to meet the organic regulation, which requires us to foster the cycling of resources, promote ecological balance, and conserve biodiversity. That's direct from the law. Now, your farm grows produce, but you also raise chickens. You have beehives. How are the organic standards different for animal or animal products? We want to lessen stress, allow them to express natural behavior, which means allowing them to go outside and uh, and and while they are in the outdoors, that we are protecting that ecology as well. And so um, organic is a system, so you don't just only plan on one aspect. So organic costs more because of all the extra management. But I've also been an organic inspector, and I can say that organic farms are truly uh, represent 
what we need in in the world and bringing back uh, ecological balance and doing things that are environmentally beneficial to mitigate so many of our problems. Dan, how does the organic certification process work? Well, basically, the grower pays the certifier, if I understand it correct, and there's a third-party certifier that comes in and inspects the books and, and sort of audits the operation and makes sure that the rules are being followed. But there's always been this suspicion by outsiders that because, you know, the farmers are paying the certifier, that nobody involved really has that much of an incentive to find problems. Tom, there's there's the inspection of domestic products, but then what does the inspection process look like for imported products? It's exactly the same as the domestic products. So the, the piece that's being left out of this conversation is that every one of these certifiers is also accredited by the USDA. So not only are we inspecting and monitoring the farms, but the USDA is inspecting and monitoring the certifiers to ensure that they are being impartial and, and fulfilling their duty. Now, even though the system is the same across the board, now there's with these new rules, there's even a further control point at the point of import where each pound of organic product will require an import certificate issued by the exporter, verified by customs, tracked against the centralized database monitored by the USDA, and then verified by the certifier of the importer. So there is a lot of scrutiny, more scrutiny for this product than any other eco-label out there. So when a consumer looks for trust, I don't know what label they would look for and find a higher amount of uh, verification and scrutiny. Harriet, how much more does it cost organic farmers to produce products, either financially or, or in terms of time? I would say it's it's much more the time, as well as we don't have all the same infrastructure as, as far as in the supply chain and, and trucking and all of that, the, the efficiency uh, scale. Um, we're just not as big, and so there's many ways that we are inefficient, and so that adds cost as well. Uh, but I would say, too, that uh, the organic farmers, through the Organic Farmers Association that I'm a member of, uh, also, you know, we since we work so hard to do what we're doing, um, we are so happy to have the Strengthening Organic Enforcement Rule, which monitors more of the supply chain, which is seems to be where we have the problem. Not so much out on the farm, but that when it's being purchased and then further down the line being consolidated and processed is where we're finding the fraud. So so thank you to the USDA for putting this rule in place. So Harriet, when you say true organic, how are you defining that? Those that are truly following the rules and doing everything right. <laughs> um, so that so so the organic regulations really have a lot of very specific rules, what you can and cannot use as a material, as well as what kind of system you need in place, like I said, mimicking the natural processes. And so um, having good inspectors, and this rule increases the amount of education and training that inspectors must have, that certifiers must have. So when they are actually reading the inspection reports, they know what they're reading and understand it. Um, and so a lot of what we already had in place was there, but this expansion of more people in the supply chain having that oversight, as well as better training for those who are doing the inspection and review. That's Harriet Bihar. She's the owner of Sweet Springs Farm in Wisconsin. Harriet, thanks for joining us today. Thank you.
Now let's add another voice to the conversation. Jennifer Tucker is Deputy Administrator for the USDA's National Organic Program. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Jennifer, what's the aim of the USDA's organic regulations? Are they for health reasons, environmental reasons, or something else? Organic is such an important part of the U.S. food system, and consumers buy organic for many different reasons, and you've heard some of them on the the call so far. So consumers choose organic for uh, for health reasons, for environmental reasons, because it does um, support both soil and water health. It does not allow genetic engineering, for example, so no GMOs. So there are many reasons why uh, consumers reach out and pick that organic product. And because of that growth, because organic is such a vital part of the U.S. food system, it has been growing and expanding over many, many years because of that value. And that's why we needed the new rule, because as the world changes and businesses expanded to new areas, we need regulations to change with it. Well, as Tom said earlier, this is the most significant change we've seen to organic regulations since 1990. According to a 2010 internal report, the USDA needed to improve its oversight over organic products. But why has it taken so long to strengthen these regulations? The USDA has put a lot of work into protecting the seal over the the last few years. That 2010 report was very important in providing a roadmap, and we have been strengthening our protection of the rules um, that are already in place uh, over that time. So, for example, we have uh, stopped incoming imports of fraudulent uh, animal feed. Uh, We have taken action here in the United States to protect the seal. We've built our relationship with other federal agencies, uh, for example, Customs and Border Protection, to put more practices in at the border. And doing that work really helped reveal where some bad guys are able to infiltrate the system. Any system that is um, money producing has the risk of bringing in some bad guys, too. And so over the last several years in protecting the SEAL, we've learned where the protections are needed the most. And that is what is in this uh, rule. So we're continuing to protect that seal every single day. These rules will help us do it faster and better. So for example, Tom mentioned that there are some operations, some businesses right now that don't have to be certified. And that's a real problem for us and for consumers. So the new rule will make sure that everyone along that supply chain is certified. Let's get back to our inbox. Tom emails, does the amount of paperwork required for USDA organic certification discourage small producers from applying for organic certification, even if they are employing organic practices? How can small operations support the overhead of complying with the regulations? And that echoes this tweet from Hugh, who says, I know several small growers who are essentially organic, but don't have the resources to become certified. They take a wider view of sustainability versus just organic. It feels like a lot of bureaucracy. Jennifer, what does this change in regulation mean in additional costs for farmers, inspectors, and consumers? This rule was written very specifically to be what we call risk-based, which means that the cost goes where the risk is highest. So I agree with Harriet that um, many, many small farms, uh, smaller producers that are uh, doing all the right things on the farm, they should not have additional burden of uh, what many people call bureaucracy. We call you know, federal protection uh, at the farm at the farm level. We 
have launched initiatives in the past called Sound and Sensible Certification, which really helps certifiers and uh, inspectors that are going out to these farms really understand what to look for. What are you noticing on a farm? What as Harriet said, what doors are you opening to look in the corners? And so it's not just about paperwork, though record keeping is important. When you buy as a consumer a box of organic cereal that has, for example, cranberries and chocolate and oats and wheat in it, you want to make sure that all of those ingredients can be traced back to the farm. And then you want to make sure that that farm followed the correct processes, um, is uh, following the rules and you need records to support that. So in the search for traceability across the supply chain, records are important and that is part of what goes into what is very unique and special about the organic seal. Tom, what do you hear from smaller growers about the accessibility of that organic certification? Yeah, so we 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 do hear from from our growers about the the amount of paperwork that's involved in the system, but you know the question needs to be for what for why that paperwork, and it is to ensure that the label means something, and that's being consistently applied across uh, the entirety of the supply chain and all types of farming operations. Now, when you look at organic farms, over seventy percent of organic farms have gross sales of less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But at the same time, organic farms are 35% more profitable than an average farm. So while it is a lot of work to get that organic label because it has such a high comprehensive meaning behind it, it also provides the return to those farmers who choose to take uh, that path. Dan, let's talk about that label because when you're shopping, you see so many, so many labels. There's organic, there's all natural, there's non-GMO. What's the difference? Well, you know, I and I'm with a lot of consumers, I think, is I'm frustrated by a lot of these labels um, because it's really hard to know what's behind them. And many of them, I would say most of them, are primarily marketing labels. So organic is one of the labels that has a very clear meaning. I mean, it's, it's, it is the label that has the clearest definition. You may not agree with all the things that it requires, but you know exactly what it means because there are all these rules. And then there's the ones you mentioned. You know, it's like um, all natural means almost nothing. I mean, uh, you look at eggs. There's free range, not very well defined. It just means that the chickens, which spend most of their time probably indoors, have a door that they can go out and run around outside. Actually, that is also true of organic um, uh, and then there's pasture raised, which costs usually a lot more, which means the chickens are actually out on the, you know, on the field outside. It's like more of the time. Non-GMO is one of my, um, most frustrating labels <laughs> because, okay, okay. So, you know, you say non-GMO and people immediately think, well, what's that exactly mean? What is GMO? Well, I mean, there are major crops that have been genetically modified to be tolerant of specific weed killers or, in some cases, to be uh, resistant to certain insects. You know, the major crops are, you know, soybeans, um, corn, uh, canola. And so these products, there's a certification process to say those genetically modified crops are not ingredients in our product. Problem is, 
it doesn't necessarily mean anything environmentally speaking. And people, I think, see non-GMO and think it's organic, and it is not. It is standard traditional agriculture. In fact, you know, some non non-GMO crops are probably sprayed more with pesticides than the GMO crops. You know, so so anyway, that is, and sometimes there are non-GMO foods. Like I was looking at the store this morning. I came by here. There's there's instant oats, right? It says non-GMO. Oats are the only ingredient. There are no GMO oats. Why do they put non-GMO on the label? It's simply a marketing thing. I think I should stop there because you, <laughs> you, I got you, you, going. Sense, you sense my annoyance with some of these labels. Yeah. Well, let's go back to our voicemail box. I buy organic whenever possible. I hope my support of organic and sustainable agriculture helps to transform factory farming for the good of the farmers, workers, purchasers, and the natural world. Thanks for that message. We heard a lot of people talk about protecting the land as being the main reason they buy organic. Tom, what do we know about how organic farming affects the land? Yeah, we, we, we know a lot. And, and you know, Dan, in, in reviewing what it meant to be organic, discussed, you know, the, the pro- prohibition on using toxic pesticides and synthetic fertilizers. But it goes far beyond that. You know, organic uh, farms are required to have an organic systems plan where they have to use crop rotation, cover crops, uh, and cultivation practices that maintain and improve soil health, manage nutrients, and prevent erosion. They're looking at uh, contamination vectors, you know, ensuring that their crops aren't contaminated, but also that they're not contaminating the soil and the water. So when you look at it, it is a very comprehensive uh, certification plan to to ensure that the the food and fiber that you're buying, if it's certified organic, that it is not destructive to the environment. Jennifer, when we talk about where this fraud was happening, who who were the biggest growers or or companies that were engaged in in this organic fraud? So first, let me say that fraud is absolutely unacceptable, and organic fraud is a federal crime. It is a federal crime. And so one of the uh, areas where we saw increased risk, uh, where fraud was in, uh, was occurring, uh, was operations, uh, farmers and exporters that outside the United States that had previously been certified as organic, um, but were kicked out of the system because the inspection system, the oversight system worked. They were kicked out of the system, um, but they continued to ship product as organic uh, to the United States. And that's where an awful lot of our work has gone in protecting imports, is making sure uh, that we can see operations um, status and then be able to better track uh, products coming out of different countries into the United States. Well, let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from one of you. This is Lisa from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I wish I could buy organic food, but I can't afford it. It would be nice. Also, this email from Sean, who says, can we talk about how organic advocates tend to be overwhelmingly white and privileged? Organic food takes more energy and costs more. Many say that it is impossible to feed the world organically. So is the organic movement another first world problem relevant only to the privileged elite? Now, studies suggest organic products can be 14 to 70 percent more expensive than their non-organic counterparts. Jennifer, what is the USDA trying to do to make organic food more accessible? Uh, The... 
USDA has invested and is investing right now in a, a nationwide initiative to increase the number of farmers that are transitioning into organic because of the consumer uh, demand. Um, and that initiative is a, a very much focused on bringing in underserved areas, people who have traditionally not been part of organic, states that have uh, had low organic production. Uh, the initiative is specifically bringing those states to the, the table to provide organic as an option. And so having uh, more organic farmers across the country uh, should have a direct impact on, on accessibility and also uh, diversity of the market. That's Jennifer Tucker. She's Deputy Administrator of the USDA's National Organic Program. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we hear from a scientist who studies the effect of organic and non-organic food on human health. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Get your quote at Progressive.com and see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to our discussion about new USDA oversight meant to stop organic food fraud. We got this question from Catherine who emails, does organic produce, meat, and poultry ever have lower purchase prices at grocery stores? I'm a wildlife biologist and fully support the ecological philosophy ingrained in the organic farming process. However, I have a low income stream. Financially, I cannot support my family on solely organic products. Tom, I wanted to give you a chance to speak to this issue of affordability. We've heard about it from so many listeners. Yeah, I mean, affordability is a challenge in organic. And that comes in part because organic is value-added at the farm level. It is more expensive to farm organically than conventionally because of the inputs and because of the environmental benefits it brings. And, you know, if you value it, the health benefits it brings as well. That being said, there's still a lot of room for improvement. One thing I'll point out is organic You know, it's a fairly new claim on the marketplace when you look at the scale of things. And it hasn't received its fair share of research dollars um, to support, you know, growing and making those operations more efficient um, and and being able to deliver products at a scale that um, doesn't also include that premium at every step in the process. And so there's a lot of room for improvement. If we look at, you know, uh, investing more in research at the farm level, we can get yields um, by, you know, approaching breeds and seeds that uh, respond better and and grow better in organic conditions and that have farming practices that can be adopted by those farmers to, to, you know, increase the efficiency of their operations. Um, If we invest more in those areas as well as grow the marketplace, we'll see those, that, that premium reduce over time. However, because it is value-added at the farm, there will always be some level 
a premium for organic. Well, I want to bring one more voice into the conversation. Cynthia Curl is an environmental health scientist, and she's an associate professor at the School of Public and Population Health at Boise State University. Cynthia, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, let's hear from some of you about why you buy organic. Hi, this is Dean from Annadale. I'm responding to your question about why one would buy organic foods. And it's not for the nutritional value. That really doesn't make any difference. Uh, But I buy because I want to minimize my ingestion of pesticides, number one. Number two, to minimize the use of fossil fuels for fertilizer. And then three, just to encourage sustainable farming. When I reach for that, my hopes are that I'm not giving my daughter and family pesticides and other harmful chemicals or the animals were raised in a particular way that is cruelty-free and, again, antibiotics and and other additives-free. Cynthia, we got a lot of voicemails about pesticides and, and choosing organic. What can you tell us about the amount of pesticides someone may be ingesting if they eat conventional versus organic produce? Sure, absolutely. That's exactly the kind of research that we do here in our laboratory. So I would say that many studies in a variety of different populations have shown that consumption of an organic diet can significantly and immediately reduce exposure to several classes of synthetic pesticides. So for example, in a study that we conducted in our lab, we recruited a group of pregnant women who ate exclusively conventional foods. And we supplemented all of their diets with additional fruits and vegetables throughout pregnancy. But we randomly assigned half of them to receive organic fruits and vegetables and the other half to receive conventional fruits and vegetables in deliveries once a week until they had their babies. And we found that those women who received the organic fruits and vegetables had significantly lower exposures to pyrethroid and organophosphate insecticides than those who received the conventional fruits and vegetables. And what do we know about the dangers of these pesticides? That's a great question. So, I mean, that, that's kind of the, the big question is, if you reduce your pesticide exposure from low to very, very low, does it matter? And I think that remains an open question. Um, there have been four large mother-child cohort studies across the U.S. that have looked at women when they're pregnant, measured their pesticide exposure levels, and then found that and followed their kids. And some of their kids are ages like 10 and 12 now and found that women who had higher pesticide exposures when they were pregnant, their kids are more likely to have ADHD, more likely to have deficits in attention and IQ. Now, these women's exposures were not necessarily from diet. They either lived in the Salinas Valley of California, where they were in agricultural communities, or they lived in high-rise buildings in Cincinnati and New York, where pesticides were used to control ants, cockroaches, things like that. But we do have a reason to suspect that even these relatively low levels of pesticides that they were exposed to, right? These aren't acute poisonings that they were having, um, may have led to health effects in their kids. Well, Cynthia, how much research has gone into how farm workers are affected by pesticide use? That is also a really important point that I think doesn't get brought up in this conversation as often as it should. And that's, that's probably the reason that I choose organic when I do. So we know that 10 to 20,000 farm workers are acutely poisoned by synthetic pesticides in the U.S. each year. And so choosing organic is a way to reduce that exposure in a group of people that I don't think get enough attention. Now, eating organic, as we've heard, it's not an accessible option for everyone. It, it's expensive. It may not even be available where you shop. What do you hope your research on pesticides can provide in terms of public guidance? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things that go on with this. Um, I mean, 
I think that if we find that there are pesticides in our food supply that are leading to health effects that are not acceptable, then we need to get those pesticides out for everybody, right? That's, that's kind of separate from the organic label. So that's some of what my work does. I also think that you know, we need to make sure that people are clear about what the benefits of organic foods are and are not so that they can make those choices in an informed way and decide you know, how much that's worth spending. There are also programs um, for lower income folks that can you know, encourage organic purchasing by having that purchase power increased when they buy organically. So I think there's a lot of different ways to think about this. So, so what do you tell people you know who may be concerned about the safety of their food, about the choices they make when they go shopping? First of all, I tell them to eat their fruits and vegetables, right? I mean, I don't want anybody listening to anything that I talk about and thinking that if they can't afford organic fruits and vegetables, they shouldn't eat them, right? The health benefits of eating fruits and vegetables are well established. But I do tell people that if they're concerned about pesticide exposure, we know that eating organic is a way to reduce that. That's Cynthia Curl. She's an environmental health scientist, and she's an associate professor at the School of Public and Population Health at Boise State University. Cynthia, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you so much. Okay, Dan, I, I hate to, to get you back on this again, but if someone's trying to buy ethically, even beyond the labels that are slapped on, on the different products we purchase, maybe just what are some of the questions we should ask ourselves as we're hmm. going about our grocery shopping? <laughs> questions to ask yourselves. You know, like I said, you know, the consumer, unfortunately, it's just really hard to like make a difference at the local level through consumer choices because there is such a long supply chain and it's very, you know, unless you're buying at the supermarket. So, you know, maybe the advice is get to know your food supply chain a little better. And it is really, you know, sort of an empowering experience to go to the farmer's market and maybe even visit the farm, you know, where this is being grown. You know, for people who can have the time and the plot of land, grow a garden, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, there is just, you know, I, I think education about the food system is is a really good thing to understand some of the trade-offs, you know, some of the land requirements of some of the things you buy. But ultimately, I think it's reasonable for people to have their own sort of health uh, in mind I will say one other thing. That is, you know, when you realize all sort of the the economic, the the ecological and environmental costs uh, of of food, you know, to sort of develop a, a philosophy that food is precious, um, and you don't waste it, uh, and you and you are conscious about what you buy. Well, farms and companies have a year to comply with these new regulations. Briefly, Tom, what will you be watching to see if this does work out to weed out fraud? Yeah, I mean, we're going to be looking for the cases of fraud and, and over time, you know, expecting them to decrease. And we're expecting, you know, farmers uh, who are doing the right thing, you know, the 46,000 certified entities and the 17,000 U.S. certified organic farmers that they'll be uh, thriving because they're getting a fair price in the marketplace for their products. That's Tom Chapman. He's the CEO of the Organic Trade Association. Also with us today, Dan Charles. He's an independent journalist focusing on food, farming, and climate change. He's also a former food and agriculture correspondent at NPR. Tom, Dan, thank you. Thank you. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin, and thanks for all of your questions and comments. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. Thank you.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions this week on npr's book of the day podcast we are discussing books centering mothers so call your mom then tune into the book of the day podcast from npr